This past week in the headlines, Warren Buffett gave away $3.6 billion. His goal is to give away 99% of all of his wealth. Over the years, Berkshire Hathaway has given away billions of dollars to various causes for various reasons. Warren Buffett has said many times that he hopes to die giving all of his wealth away. He's not alone in that. There have been others like him, like Rockefeller, Carnegie. As we look at figures like $3.6 billion, less than a few percentages of his overall wealth, we can be in awe with the amount. It's a lot of money. What would happen if churches were given resources like that? So often, as Christians, we think the way the world thinks. If we just had more resources, we could do more ministry. If we just had more money, and it makes sense, we live in a world that does turn around financial resources. Of course, we need financial resources to, you know, of course, keep the lights on and pay staff. We need resources, financial resources to send missionaries. We can't just say, you know, just believe Jesus and it'll be okay, right? You've got to actually eat, and it costs money to do that. But so often we can be tempted to think that if we just had more money, we could do more ministry. And that's just simply not true. So often we think that we can hire resource out spirituality. So often in churches, we think that the solution to our problems will just be throwing money at it. So we don't have children, so we will hire a children's pastor. I remember years ago being a youth pastor, being hired by a church to get youth. Like my job was to go out and attract youth. And maybe you've been a part of a church that's thought that way. Okay, we need to have this, so we're just going to spend money to get that. Hire some professional to do that work. Friends, that is not how Jesus runs his church. And you might think, hey, I'm just going to, that's what we need. In order to solve this problem, this hole, we just throw money in the hole and it'll fix. It'll be fixed. No. No, Jesus has promised his church that he will equip and build his church. We don't need to adopt some sort of business strategy in a church. To, to, it doesn't work that way. There's nothing wrong with hiring staff for children's ministry or youth ministry. That's fine. I'm thankful to have been employed doing that work. It's good work. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But we need to understand that, that just having more money isn't going to solve our problems. In fact, it may even create a lot of other problems. And so as a church, we want to think this morning about how God has gifted his church. This morning, I want us to think about this continued theme now, we've been kind of hanging out here in chapter 4 for a little while. You might be thinking, man, he really like put it in slow-mo here over these last few weeks. There's an intentionality on my part in doing that. It's not because I just want to annoy everyone to death and say, like, come on, man. You know, yeah, we could preach the, I could preach this whole text in one sermon. You're thinking, like, well, why didn't you, right? Uh, I intentionally wanted to go really slow through chapter 4 in this beginning section because I wanted us to really have fixed in our mind this vision that Christ has for His church, this unified church. That as a congregation, the one thing that we need to give ourselves to, the one sort of activity you see here in Ephesians that Paul is pushing this church towards is unity. That unity is essential to the growth of the local church. Okay, it is essential. It's not something like if we get around to it, you know, we get all the other stuff done, then we can focus on unity. No, no, no. the church unified together is essential to her health. Now, that's the point I've been making. That that's the point Paul is making here in the text. So Ephesians four three. Look there if you have your Bibles open. That as Christians, we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is what we are to be doing as a congregation. This text is what should be on our minds every Lord's Day and every day in between. About eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we're to be doing. And we've seen throughout the, the means to do that. We've seen the, 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 the basis of that. So last week we thought about the basis of our unity, uh, the one spirit. We, we thought about the triune God as a reflection of our unity. That as you and I are unified, we reflect God's character in this place and in this world. Now this week, we're going to think a little bit more about unity, specifically here, the motivation for unity. And when we think about unity, something that often doesn't come up in the conversation is spiritual gifts. Oftentimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, because of our individualistic culture, uh, we tend to talk about spiritual gifts in individualistic uh, ways. I'm gifted to do this. Uh, God has gifted me to speak or God, you know, it's all individual. It's all about you, right? Um, and, and this morning, what I want you to think uh, that the scriptures are teaching here is that spiritual gifts are given in a diverse manner for the unity of the church. And so I've titled the message unity in diversity, not Diversity, the way the world might use that term, right? All right. But diverse gifts. That Jesus has not called his church to be the same. Right? So we, I've stressed each week that when we talk about unity, we're not talking about uniformity. 
We need to separate unity from uniformity. Uniformity is everybody thinks the same way, acts the same way, does the, you know, kind of every, it's just, we're just robots, right? So, so Jesus isn't about programming a bunch of people to, to all look the same. No, no. We're all different. And we all have a role to play in the maturing process of the local church. And so one of the things I want you to see this morning is that without you, this church will not grow. Now, I want you to listen really carefully because um, I'm going to use the word grow throughout the sermon. So I want to I define what I mean very quickly. Um, I, I'm not speaking simply about numerical growth. Okay, so when I say the church grows, automatically, I bet your mind just immediately thought more people, more money, more influence. Like, that's grow bigger, right? No. Now, that's a subset. There's nothing wrong with numerical growth. That's good. That, that could be a sign of health. Although this morning, I bet you could see a church filled with a lot of people without a gospel. Right? And so, so I don't mean merely mere, uh, numerical growth, but rather spiritual growth. Right? It's hard to quantify spiritual growth. It's hard. There's a, quali- there's a quality to it. We can't you know, measure it. There's not like a survey that we can do, right? But there are things that we can look for that are indicators of spiritual growth. This whole chapter, chapter 4 and beyond, is about the maturing of the local church. So as a pastor, what elders are doing, their role, one of their roles in the church, is to help the church grow in spiritual maturity. Just as you, as a parent, help your children grow in maturity, right? We don't just, like, um, we don't just throw kids into a room and, and say, hey, figure it out, right? No, no. We... We mature them. We help them, right? And, and you know that the conversations you have with a two-year-old are very different than conversations you have with, you know, an 18-year-old. And sometimes, sadly, it, I have the same conversations with 18-year-olds that I do with two-year-olds, right? Stop biting, no hitting, you know, those kind of things, right? And so as, as a church, they're, they're, we are at different levels. And so pastors and elders, one of their roles is to help the church. That's what we're going to see next week. All right. So next week's all going to be about uh, specifically leadership in the local church and how, um, what roles pastors play uh, and what, what's your role in growing the church. All right. Well, friends, I invite you to turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you haven't already, page 977 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible open, you don't have a Bible, grab that one in front of you. There's a, it's a black one, maybe red. If it's black, turn to page 977. Um, I have nothing to say. Jesus has a lot to say. And so I just encourage you to turn there and listen to what Jesus says through the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? 
He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, this morning we're just going to consider verses 7 through 10, but I continue to reading there just to give you a sense of context. Uh, this passage is moving somewhere, right? Uh, so we're in the midst of a very long sentence. Paul uh, loved to lo- write long sentences. Uh, he, he wanted to capture all the thoughts connected together, tightly together, and we're landing right in the middle of it. So he began by giving that exhortation to unity. Uh, We are to strive for unity. Then he moved from there by laying the basis of that unity. Here he's giving us the motivation. He's wanting to motivate you this morning to work towards unity. Uh, This is all movement towards verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. So this morning I want you to see two motivations for you to pursue using your gifts in the local church. Number one, in verse seven, you will see that you've been spiritually gifted to grow the church in mute maturity. You, if you're a member of this congregation, you have been gifted by God to help grow this church. Secondly, I want you to see that you've been spiritually gifted by the risen and ascended Lord. First, we want to consider that we've been gifted. Then we want to consider who gifted us, right? Because who you got the gift from matters all the more, right? Right? We all know this well, right? Uh, we know the grandma and grandpa who don't really give great gifts. We're like, ah, okay, thanks for that. But then we like really love the grandparents who give the awesome gifts, right? It matters who you get a gift from, right? It matters. And Paul here is stressing that point. We'll consider that in a moment. First, verse 7, the Paul, the Paul says here in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, verse 7 is one of those verses that we could camp out on and just meditate all day and think about. Uh, all, all week as I thought about verse 7, I mean, there's so much richness there. Uh, it's one of those verses, it's kind of a transition verse. You might easily read over it and get to the good stuff. Oh, there's so much there that's good. I want you to see, uh, I want you to see something here. First, Paul says that grace was given to each one of us. Uh, The word grace is used all throughout the book of Ephesians. It's perhaps uh, one word that that might unify the whole letter. Uh, Grace. Uh, We know from chapter 2 that this grace is saving grace. In chapter 1, Paul talked about electing grace, that that God has elected graciously those whom he foreknew. Chapter 2, he talked about saving grace. But here, rather than in chapter 3, he talked about ministry grace. So look at chapter 3 for a moment, for just a minute, just to remind ourselves of this grace. Chapter 3 and verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And then again in verse 7 through 8 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What we can see here by Paul's usage in verses 2, 7, and 8, that Paul's not talking about electing grace. He's not talking about God's saving grace. He's talking about ministry grace. That grace had been given to him for the purpose of ministry. In other words, the word grace means gift. And and so this is none, none other than spiritual gifts. The spiritual gift of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles was given to Paul. Uh, This isn't something inherent in Paul's character. Uh, This isn't something about Paul himself, but rather this was a gift given to him. It was something that he received. In chapter 4, Paul points to this grace that was given, not merely to him, but to everyone. Ministry gift. Uh, We'll see in Later on in, in verse 13, the purpose of that grace, the purpose of this, of this ministry grace was to equip the saints until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. As I've said throughout, the purpose of this is maturity. Ministry grace was given to the church for the purpose of ministry. But what is this grace? Uh, what is this ministering grace? Well, we'll see next week. That God has given gifts, and the gifts that God has given, verse 11, is people. God gifts his church with people. That's what he gives them. God equips his church with people. One of the things we want to understand then is that God has given these gifts. He has equipped us. Notice again, look at verse 7. We could parse this all day, but look at it. But grace was given. It's not something that's going to come down the road. Uh, Paul makes clear, he makes a connection between saving grace and ministry grace, that they all come at the same time. In other words, if you're here this morning and you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are regenerate, you're born again, through that act of regeneration, you have been given gifts by Christ You've been equipped. So it's not something that's going to come later, like when you get more mature. No, when you're saved, you are given gifts to serve the body of Christ. Notice here again what he says in verse 7. He is given gifts to each one of us. Paul is emphasizing here, he actually fronts the whole sentence with this, each one of us. He's emphasizing that every single member in the local church has been gifted. This is the point Paul will make later, or rather in other texts, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he emphasizes the sort of unseen parts and how we should have extra special care of the members who don't have the prominent place. Because what happens in church is we see the people up front and we think, wow, they are essential to this church. No, you are just as essential. As those up front. God has gifted every single believer. To serve the local church. Notice here again in verse 7. What he says that he is given to each one of them. The, the point again that Paul is making. Is that he has given a diversity of gifts. That makes He'll make that point evidently clear in verse 11. When he says that he gave apostles and prophets. Evangelists and shepherd teachers. 
Christ gifts his church with a diversity of gifts. Thankfully, we're not all mouths, because that would be really loud. Right? Christ has gifted his church with a variety. Let's be honest, if, if, if you're like me, uh, you get bored with the same thing all the time, right? We need a variety. We need different. That's why, uh, we, why I don't preach every Sunday. Because you need a variety of voices. You don't need just one voice. You know, for so long, churches have been pastored by like one pastor. Well, that's just not how Christ has designed his church. He has designed it to have a plurality of pastors leading the church because you need a variety of leadership. Just as he's gifted this church with a variety of people. Thankfully, we are not all the same. Some are more gentle than others. Some are encouragers. Well, let's look very quickly at some, some list. If you have your Bibles open, let's turn over there to Romans 12. Uh, that passage our sister read to us earlier in Romans chapter 12. Just hang a left, uh, go left in your Bible, a handful of pages, to, to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. I just want to show you again the, these diversity of gifts that have been given to the church. Again, this is a parallel type of passage. Notice that, that Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Again, this is that ministry grace that has been given to Paul uh, for the exhortation, the building up of the church through instruction. He says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Again, that's, that's, that's like a verse that every pastor needs to have on his heart, right? Uh, you're not essential. It's the point I was making a moment ago. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that has been assigned to you. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to them. And then he goes on to list a few of those prophecy, service, exhortation, generosity, mercy, and on down the list. Oh, we can see that Paul then is, is his point he's making here and in Ephesians 4 7 is that the church has a diversity of spiritual gifts. Uh, some have been uniquely gifted to serve, they just have a service ministry. That's just who they are. They, they, they can't think of doing anything else but to serve. Perhaps God has gifted you with administration. Uh, you, you're one that can organize things and you can administer. You can make sure people get their jobs done. Uh, perhaps your ministry is one of exhortation. Uh, ministry of encouragement. Uh, maybe perhaps you think your ministry is the ministry of correction. And so you go around correcting people all the time. Um, <laughs> Maybe. But we all have a place to play, right? Some of you have that ministry of correction towards me, which is encouraging to me. It keeps me humble. It does. We all have a place to play. Christ has gifted his church with a diversity of gifts. And one of the things we want to come away with from this text is that you have been equipped but maybe you've not been equipped the way someone else has been equipped. Maybe that's caused you some discouragement. Maybe that's caused you some 
some doubt. That's why Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that, that we might, should not think of ourselves more highly than we thought. Well, I should be up front. I also want to make a point that just because you might be gifted in this world doesn't mean you're gifted for the church the same way. I think that one of the silliest things that you see often in church is, oh, the guy runs a, a business. He, he must be able to run a church. And so the practice often in, at least in Baptist churches, is to you know, put all the, the, the business guys on the deacon board and, and they, they're the ones that make decisions. That is a frightful, frightful thing, trust me. Because you might know how to run a Fortune 500 company, but let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ has a whole different way of functioning. Not that a businessman can't be in leadership in the local church. But so often we can't just say, oh, just because they're gifted like this in the world, that that must somehow transfer to the church. Oh, no, brothers and sisters, there are so many that would get looked over and passed over in this world, but I am convinced will be those kind of unsung heroes in heaven who were essential to the maturing of every local body. Those sisters who serve week in and week out. Nobody knows how they serve lovingly and graciously, caring for people. The ones who care for widows and the ones who do, do their ministry of praying. I'm so often encouraged by those who have this sort of ministry of, of prayer. The, the, the prayer warrior, the one who you know, isn't up front praying the prayers and the services, but the one who is slowly and patiently every day praying for their pastor, praying for the leaders, praying for members, going through that member's directory, praying, praying, and praying. Nobody will ever know, but Jesus knows. And his church is built. And so this morning, you don't want to, I don't want you to leave here discouraged because you think, man, I, you know. So I want you to see again the point that Paul makes back in Ephesians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4 and verse 7. Uh, Paul, in this sentence, I think, just makes the point so clearly. Look again what he says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That word according to is, is by the basis of. In other words, Jesus proportioned gifts. That's the point Paul is making. He wants you to know something. Jesus gave you that gift. It's not yours. A gift implies you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And it also implies you can't give it back. That for us to question how God has gifted us, uh, to complain that our gift isn't as important as we think it should be. It's not proportioned to who I, you don't understand how important I am in the world. No. That Christ is given exactly what we need. In other words, that it's perfect. That Jesus Christ is given exactly what this church needs. Uh, Peter says it this way in, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. You don't need to turn there, just listen. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The gift is not from you. The gift wasn't, it's not innate in you. It's not a part of who you are. It is outside of you. Peter goes on, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. In other words, you're the mouthpiece of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That you are a conduit of God's grace in the lives of others. When you give, when you serve, you're serving in proportion to how Christ has equipped his body. That means that when you're not serving, you're like a cancer that slowly destroys the local church. You might be sitting there this morning thinking, I don't know what my gift is. Um, let me just help you a little bit here. Um, do not take some sort of spiritual gift inventory, uh, some questionnaire. That's not, that's not what we need to be doing. I would begin with prayer. Asking the one who gifted you, what, how have you gifted me? If you're not currently doing anything in this body, you just you come here every Lord's Day. You're a member of this congregation. You just sort of come in, you sit, and you leave. Friend, I want to exhort you this morning to stop disobeying Jesus and start serving this body. Now, I don't mean you're gonna like you know start some ministry or something like that. that you know, not gonna scare you that way. No, it it, it happens. Number one, by you being here. This morning, if you're one who's known for encouraging others, use your words to encourage others. If you're one who has extra time during your week to serve the body, ask, how can I serve? I don't mean coming here and making sure the walls are painted and all that. That, that, This is a building, okay? This is not the church. The church are the people in the pews, okay? So I don't mean about coming up here and doing yard work, all right? That may be your gifting. That's a way to serve the church, but that's not what I'm after here. There are so many places that we are to serve. In the list I've read, if your gift is, is to encourage, to exhort, to teach, whatever your gift is, use your gifts and see the, port, the, 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 the purpose is, is the maturity of the church. This church will remain immature and ill-equipped if we do not use our spiritual gifts. It's not about just the preacher on Sunday. This church will not grow if it's dependent on me. I can tell you that right now. Because I, there are some things, there are many things, rather, that I am not gifted at. That's why we have you. I think it's a foolish thing that I've got to run around here putting on children's ministry training because nobody will step up and lead the children's ministry. I think it's a crazy thing for me to hear that one or two individuals serve the same way every week and nobody helps them. We're all able-bodied people. We got here. Now, some are more able than others. 
How has God called you to serve this body? How, how can we see that, that when this church is unified, or rather when this church is being served well, there's unity? Before we transition out of this point, I want to give you one illustration of that. In the book of Acts, we are told that there was a division among the Hellenistic Jews and the, so the Greek-speaking Jews and the, the sort of traditional Hebrew Jews, right? There was a division among the widows. There, there was some squabbling going on because the Greek-speaking Jews, uh, the ones that weren't a pure birth, uh, that's how it was sort of, it was an ethnic division, uh, were not being served as well as the sort of Hebrew, uh, the Jews living there in Palestine. And there was a division in the church. And you know how they solved that division? It wasn't by preaching really good sermons. It was by calling what we would maybe understand to be like the prototype deacons to help unify the church. It was a church disunity problem. It was a problem of church unity. And you know what solved that problem? Was people serving. Service leads to unity. How has God called you to serve this body? Well, moving on here, I want you to see the second motivation here. It's a point that I kind of passingly gave, which is the point that you've been gifted by the risen and ascended Lord. One of the ways that Paul hopes to motivate here is is to understand that where you got your gift from should empower you, encourage you to use it. That you've not been given some tawdry, broken gift, but that you've been given a glorious gift from a glorious God. Look at what he writes here in in verse 8. Paul appeals to Psalm 68 here. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, This psalm originally written was a psalm, Psalm 68 is what Paul is quoting here. And Paul quotes it. As an application, he says, this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, that psalm was about God marching victorious after uh, the Israelites went uh, and were freed from slavery in Egypt. And it was a picture as they were camped there after coming through the Red Sea. Imagine the, the picture of the psalmist here is that as the, the camp, as the people are encamped and the fires are glowing and the, the sun uh, has set and the, the stars are in the sky, God is walking among his people like a victorious king uh, giving gifts to all of Israel. And he's passing out these wonderful gifts and, uh, as he has defeated the, their, their enemy. And Paul says that that psalm was a foreshadow of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Similar to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus is a victorious king. And this victorious king has gifted his church. He says that he's given all these gifts to men and to women. Paul's point here is for us to understand that the king of glory is in control. 
Now, verses nine, verses nine and eight, or verses nine and ten rather, seem to be somewhat confusing. You'll see that they're kind of bracketed off. And what Paul is doing here is interpreting verse eight for us. Notice what he says. He says, "In saying he ascended, so there he is that the quotation. He's he's saying, well, because we think about Psalm sixty-eight and verse eighteen. What does it mean that he ascended?" Well, Paul goes on in verse nine. He says, "Well, if he ascended, that means that he had to descend." into the lower regions of the earth. And then he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens. So so Paul's point here in his interpretation is for us to think about the ascension of Christ in the context of his incarnation. Now, there have been some that have sort of thought maybe this text is pointing here to Christ's descent into hell. So the text here, you'll see he ascended into the lower regions, the lower parts of the earth. So some have thought, well, this is referring here to Christ's descent into hell. Uh, Perhaps as a reference to Christ's spirit at Pentecost. So his his spirit descended, we are told, Luke tells us, upon the church. I think more likely what Paul is doing here in, in the context here is speaking about Christ's incarnation. His state of humility. And then to point to his state of supremacy, that he is the supreme Lord. This is the point that Paul was was after in in Ephesians chapter one. So if you look there again, I I just kind of point out what he you remember when Paul was was really trying to get us to understand the great salvation that we've received. In other words, that remember that saving grace that we've received. Well, to understand the saving grace that we receive, this gift of God's grace, he wanted us to understand who we received it from. So look there in chapter 1, in verse 20. This great power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He wanted us to understand that though our sins may be many, His mercy is more, right? His power is greater. He can overcome and Christ sits ascended in power and glory. Brothers and sisters, why is that important for maturing the local church? It is, I think, a reminder that Christ will build his church, period. That Jesus Christ has equipped his church and it will grow. It will grow. That we have gifts given to us by our ascended Lord who reigns in glory. We have everything we need because Christ has all power to give. The church has been gifted by the risen and ascended Lord. And part of our responsibility as a church is to know the risen and ascended Lord better. To know the power that is available to us. That though we might be small in number, it's okay. Jesus is going to build his church how he wants to build his church. And he will equip us with exactly what we need to do church. We don't need to be discouraged this morning that 
And so often we, we can become. If we only had the Smiths part of our family. Jason's like, what? what? Uh, <laughs> or the Joneses. If we only had that perfect family with, with 2.5 kids and they came. I don't know what happened to the other half of him. But he'll, he's coming. He's coming along. Right? If we only had this, then, then we could make a difference. The ascended Lord has equipped his church and he promises to build his church. So brothers and sisters, are you using the gifts that this, this victorious king has given you? Now it may look different than it did 30 years ago for you. You might, you might be called to serve this church differently today than you did in you know, 1980, but that's okay. God calls us and gifts us for different seasons and different ways, for different needs that come and go. The point remains, are you seeing? Are you a part of the work going on in this congregation? Brother and sister, I want you to see that, that you're not just important to the maturing of this congregation, but that you are essential. That we will continually lag behind. We will continually limp. We will continually struggle until you engage in serving the bride of Christ the way Christ has gifted you. I conclude with this word from a pastor in, in England. He writes this. We don't just have God's gifts. We are God's gifts to his church. So my church is not just there in order to bless me as though I am a shopper filling my basket in the supermarket. The opposite is true. We are saved and given to our churches as gifts to bless others by serving them. We are not meant to be consumers, but contributors. Well, let us think of ways that we can do that for God's glory and our good in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do pray this morning. That regardless of our level of spiritual maturity, that you have given us, each of us, ministering grace. Father, I pray that you, by your spirit, would reveal to us through your word how you have gifted us. If it is a gift of service, may we serve. If it is a gift of exhortation, may we exhort. Lord, whatever that gift is, whether it be a gift that is visible or invisible, a gift that gets recognition or never is recognized. We trust that you've gifted us. May we use it by your power. May we, with the Apostle Paul, say that we work hard with all the strength that you have strengthened us in serving this body. For your glory we do it, and for our eternal good in Christ's name we pray. Amen.